oh yeah you were smiling the whole time you're having a good old time and yeah i was actually enjoying that and i told him like please don't be easy on me uh, crank it up to 11 and see what you can do welcome to the lions of liberty podcast here is your host your guide your shining beacon of liberty mark claire Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you are here once again at the Lions of Liberty podcast. This is episode number 122. You can find the show notes for today's show at lionsofliberty.com slash 122. Election season is underway and there's no better way to express your political views than with the awesome satirical shirts, mugs, and other accessories you can find over at LibertyManiacs.com. Lions of Liberty listeners get 10% off your entire order by using the code Lions of Liberty. Health insurance rates are set to skyrocket once again in 2015, thanks to Obamacare regulations, but there is another path. And our friends at Health Excellence Select are here to show you the way. Learn more at lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today is a real estate entrepreneur here in Los Angeles, and he's best known to Liberty folks for his work chronicling the Liberty Movement through his amazing photography, You can find his photography and his writing on politics, business, and all sorts of things at his website, hustlebear.com. I'm pleased to bring in Judd Weiss. Judd, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. Well, Judd, first off, I just want to say, I mean, it's pretty much impossible to be a libertarian on Facebook without coming across your photography. Uh, It seems like wherever there's a liberty event of any kind, Judd Weiss is there taking some truly amazing photos. And and we'll talk more about your photography and involvement in the liberty movement in just a minute. But first, I want my listeners to get to know Judd Weiss a little bit better and get to know where you're coming from. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first became acquainted with these ideas of liberty? Uh, well, uh, a friend of mine gave me a copy of Anthem when I was 14, and that's what started it all. Before that, I was into like Marilyn Manson and stuff like that. <laughs> and honestly, Marilyn Manson is incredibly eloquent, but he doesn't believe in morality, actually, like explicitly. He's sort of like a nihilist. Nihilist, hedonist, uh, self-righteously so. I kind of agreed with that until I discovered Ayn Rand, and, and it hit me because you know it has that same understanding of People aren't really thinking through things, and they're not able to articulate and debate the basic concepts that they're accepting and believing. And I, and that, that was a big deal for me, because back then I, I would debate people, and nobody stood a chance because nobody put up anything. But it was Ayn Rand who I felt like when I was reading this, and this is back when I was 14, I was reading this and I, I couldn't find fault with her. I was trying to challenge the material and challenge the things she said, and it made a lot of sense. And I felt like wherever I had a disagreement about, it felt like she was right. Cool. Yes. You know, it's funny because literally, Judd, probably more than half of my guests who I asked that opening question to reference Ayn Rand as that person who got the spark lit, I guess you might say, even when these guests might have come to very different conclusions about what liberty is, uh, you know, throughout their lives. Many people, including myself, really found Ayn Rand at the beginning, just just bringing those ideas out and, and showing us things in a way that we had just never thought of before. And it's easy to be a nihilist when you're a teenager because, you know, you especially, I don't know, guys like you and me maybe are kind of maybe somewhat inclined to not buy everything we're told and not really 
immediately accept whatever systems were placed into, whether that's high school, uh, you know, a repressive high school system or what have you. So it's easy to just knee-jerkingly reject everything and say, well, I don't believe in anything, screw this, until you find someone that can clarify things a little bit. And, and that's something that Ayn Rand in her writing is, is definitely able to do. And, and that's evidenced by the, I think, the number of people that always reference her work when I speak with them. It, it becomes very clear. Even when I diverge from Ayn Rand in many ways, and almost all my guests that reference her end up diverging from Ayn Rand in many ways, but there's no doubt she has really that, that kind of vision that's able to really influence people's thoughts. Yeah, I think you articulated that very well. I feel like she brought a lot of clarity to me back then. That's what I find is the difference between Ayn Rand and Nathaniel Brandon to me. I feel like I learned a lot from Ayn Rand, but I grew a lot with Nathaniel Brandon. And as much as Ayn Rand had a huge impact on me, and absolutely did, nobody had a bigger impact on me than the writings of Nathaniel Brandon. I know he was a big influence on you philosophically, but you also became a friend of his a little bit later in his life. So can you describe how you first came upon his work and how it influenced you, but then also how you actually became personal friends with him and how he, he influenced you further as an adult? Well, I like to say that I was raised more by Nathaniel Brandon's books than by my own parents. Uh, he had a profound influence on me. I was kind of like a depressed loner kid. Uh, before I read, read Anne Rand, I was wearing black and listening to metal and I was kind of antisocial, let's just say. And Ayn Rand didn't really help that. It just helped me debate better. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it didn't really help me with my social skills, competence, um, self-awareness and whatnot. So I say I learned a lot from Ayn Rand, but I grew a lot with Nathaniel Brandon. And we're talking about my high school years. And so, although I do think that Ayn Rand had a good influence on me looking at more productive options instead of just like screw the society and screw everybody, which is kind of where I was before her. But um, reading Nathaniel Brandon, it was about developing as a human and, and reaching a higher potential. And what, what I really like about his stuff is that he's teaching people not exactly how to feel better, but how to become a better person that you, as a consequence, feel better about. And that's a big difference uh, that distinguishes him from most of the self-esteem movement. So he's known as the father of the self-esteem movement, but most of the figures in the scene are teaching people just how to feel better about themselves. Blow kisses in the mirror, tell yourself how wonderful you are. And sure, your, your daily affirmations with Stuart Smalley kind of thing. Yeah, affirmations and stuff like that. And, and, and he's, he's not teaching that. And he's very much removed from all that, except that that they are uh, carrying his, the name of the scene. So anyway, I got into his stuff through Ayn Rand because I've read his essays in, the, in Ayn Rand's books, and I read probably, I don't know, 20 books from Ayn Rand back in the day, my high school years. I just plowed through everything. And, um, and so I started getting into Nathaniel Brandon, and it really, a lot of light bulbs went off, and a lot of like tough realizations also. And I didn't know Nathaniel Brandon at all back then, I would just drive out to any book signing that I knew he'd be at within driving range. And the only time I got to talk to him was I was shuffled along among his fans and I got a, a, like a second for him to sign my book. And that's about it. I had no conversations with him as a teenager. Uh, it wasn't until my later 20s that I met him again. Uh, there was these objectivist salon groups in L.A. or a group by a friend, Bob Balaka, was throwing it at his house. And Nathaniel would come to those, and I got to meet him, and I got to hang out with him. And he, he, he liked me, and, and, and we got along. And I th what, what really kicked it up into a big swing was I said I would like to have a, uh, a gathering at my house, like a little party, and have him as a speaker. And 
he agreed and he really enjoyed the experience. I got, I don't know, um, let's say 70 something people to show up to hear him speak. And he was really impressed. It was a good crowd. He liked my place. And after that, we really got a lot closer. So uh, soon after that, he actually stopped driving. And I started giving him rides, which his wife loved. She really appreciated <laughs> me for doing that I'm because sure. she had a lot on her head and having to drive him everywhere was, was, was difficult for her. And I would love the opportunity to give him rides. And I'm talking about mundane things like picking up dry cleaning and stuff. But I didn't care because I wanted the chance to talk to him. Well, yeah, that's so cool. It's like it's I, I just picture like me driving Ron Paul around to, to go <laughs> buy groceries and just being able to shoot the shit with him. That's just amazing. Yeah. So I was I was all about that. I was happy for me. It was just a great chance to just talk to him more. And he would always thank me and take me out to lunch all the time. So I got a lot of time to talk to him. And for me, that was awesome because he was my biggest hero. He was like he's a legend to me. He was the biggest influence on my life. So for me to have that opportunity that was really cool. And for, for his wife to be grateful for that, I was like, hell yeah. I mean, that's a no-brainer for me. So I, I started, this was, this was at least 10 years after I started getting into him. And um, I hadn't read his books in a while since then. But nevertheless, like, he, I, he was definitely somebody I had such a tremendous admiration for. And I hung out with him a lot. Um, and one of the things I, uh, it's pretty funny, I, I'll, I'll relay, is that I told him once, that you know, he's known as the father of the self-esteem movement, and, it, and self-esteem is in the title of almost all of his books. But I told him that I think that he's not teaching people self-esteem, that it's actually pretty much nonsense. He's just teaching people how to be better people. And he actually liked that, because it's not explicitly stated anywhere in his books, but he, he kind of enjoyed that perspective. Although, the truth is, he is teaching people how to achieve higher self-esteem, but the method is through developing your self-awareness, being, so being more conscious, being more productive, being a little bit more assertive, uh, being more responsible, having higher integrity. These things combine, and combining, I'm basically listing off some of the six pillars that he, of self-esteem that are his principles. And, and working on those different matters will build you to a person that you can rely on and feel like you're more worthy. Because a lot of people are fronting, and he's, he's all about substance, not puffery and bravado and that's the big distinction between them so for instance let's say you're uh, driving on the road and you've got a strong car it's got great performance but you're not so sure about the tires maybe those tires are like maybe one of those tires is going to go you know like they're pretty worn out or you just can't rely on those tires what are you going to do you're going to drive more carefully because you can't you can't really push it and it's the same type of thing with your sense of yourself. If you don't feel like you can rely on yourself, you're gonna to have to hold back and be a lot more cautious. And that was a powerful insight. If you can develop, and you have to actually develop, you can't wish these things, you can't just give yourself affirmations. You've gotta to go to the gym and develop your strength. And if you can develop your strengths in different areas, you can now rely on yourself a lot more, take bigger risks, and feel a lot more confident that whatever happens, you'll be able to handle it and keep moving forward. 
Uh, John, this is really interesting stuff because because this is kind of going in a different direction than we normally talk about in the show. I like to focus on and rights and politics and current events, and this is like so interesting to me because I, I, I'm personally I'm I'm very familiar with Nathaniel Brandon's work in terms of his uh, the objectivism movement and all that, but I haven't really read any of his books related to the stuff you're talking about. So I find this stuff fascinating, and I know our, our listeners will too. So can you delve a little bit more into like specifically how these lessons that you learned from him sort of helped you develop in your maybe in your own career, and and also how that ties into sort of the philosophy of liberty because this stuff all does tie together at some point absolutely it all comes from that worldview the difference is is that he really pained himself and and struggled to make sure that everything he wrote was a lot more accessible and so he didn't make it explicitly about liberty a lot of the time he just wanted to uh, give these principles but it totally comes from the objectivist universe of understanding the world as objective and figuring out how to maneuver within it appropriately. So the big way that this ties into liberty is that if people aren't confident in themselves because their experience of themselves is not so high and they're, let's say, more easily scared and less confident, then they're going to want people to protect them. They're going to want, it becomes a more important need to vote in people that are constantly protecting you from all, all the time. So People actually vote themselves into becoming more like pets rather than individual sovereign people. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, the more people become sort of self-reliant and have self-esteem and and feel that they can sort of manage the world on their own, the less they're going to look to external things like a government of some kind or or a new law that they want to pass to help them out, whereas they can just realize, no, I can actually do the things I want to do. I can make this stuff happen on my own or even with the help of others. And not only that, but the more offensive it becomes to have these regulations and controls and and overseers, because it's just now it's really annoying. I know what I'm doing. I can handle myself. Please, God, just get out of my way. And so another big aspect of that is self-responsibility, which is one of his um, pillars of self-esteem. If we're able to be more responsible and and take responsibility for ourselves, then we don't need other to offload that responsibility onto others and our government. So, yeah, responsibility is a huge thing that ties in. But he's not teaching politics usually in his books, but it absolutely is fundamental to that understanding. If It's the philosophy behind the psychology of high achievement and self-reliance. And so if you can be reliant on yourself, be more conscientious person, more responsible, acting with higher integrity, you don't really need the government to to make your decisions to to plan things out and it, and not only do you not need it or you, you're less inclined to want it you're also a lot more offended and annoyed by it and I think what you, you point out there really ties into one of the problems I see with the liberty movement myself is I think a lot of people sort of put politics first they come up with some political ideal they want whether that's you know decriminalizing marijuana or or what have you all things i might agree with but the the political ideal is sort of comes first when really you need to address the philosophy first, really, before anything, because it might be great if we can convince someone else that, yes, it's better to have marijuana be legal, it's better to end the war on drugs, and that kind right. of thing. But, if, but why? Right, but why? exactly. If, if the core philosophy isn't, isn't all lined up, and you're going to have them going the next day and supporting some other terrible policy, maybe, because there was no underlying philosophy that was actually guiding that thought, other than, you know, maybe I like pot, therefore I think pot should be legal, but you don't have that philosophy of why it's really a violation of someone else's right to jail them for for owning a plant and that kind of thing. Absolutely. I agree with you 100% there. 
I mentioned this before the show, but you had an interview with Jan Helfeld, and you're the only guy I've ever seen not be at all flustered by him and not get totally, um, you know, not get tripped up because, you know, probably for the reasons that we're talking about, really, because you do have an actual philosophy and you do at least strive to be consistent with it, which is really all we can ask of us is, you know, none of us are going to have absolute truth at all times, but the, the best we can do is always strive to achieve that and strive to achieve a, a sort of a common understanding and, and truths about the world. And I think that's why I think that's a main reason you didn't yeah. get tripped up by him at all because you're not trying to fool anybody you're just you're just trying to form a consistent set of beliefs i appreciate that i, I think part of it was i, I might have been the only one who actually enjoyed my time with <laughs> jen hill because he's usually pissing people off oh yeah you were smiling the whole time you're having a good old time and <laughs> yeah i was actually enjoying that and i told him like please don't be easy on me uh, crank it up to 11 and see what you can do because his interviews are finding the faults within people and exposing that for the world to see and they're always there's always some sort of a battle where they're becoming more and more protective and he's like getting under the layer until they run off or i've seen him just badger people into like <laughs> he just annoys people to death and Yes. What when he knows he has somebody, he will dig in like like a pit bull until until they go down. Yeah. So I told him like instead of I'm not asking you to soften up on me, I want you to ramp it up even harder. And I was surprised that it really wasn't that hard. I uh, I answered the questions honestly, and it was really short actually. And I told him like please don't don't do me any favors. And I guess that attitude set it on a different path instead of me being combative and protective of anything i was just really open and that was the way to get through jan helpful sure and i've had jan on the show before and i know that his his he's not just out there to try to make people look silly he's doing this for a specific reason to try to draw out people's beliefs and contradictions so i think possibly once you realize that you weren't the kind of if he didn't already know that going in i don't know how much he, how familiar was he was with you before that but you know i think once he realized maybe that you are not the type of person that would get tripped up because you're not the same type of person he normally interviews there was no reason to be extra combative there's no reason to push you harder on a question that you've already you know given a, a consistent answer to or or at least are, are tr attempting to make a non-contradictory response to one of the questions he asked you, I kind of want to explore a little bit more because I think it's really interesting. It, it ties into this idea of objectivism, and a lot of people have heard the term objectivism, but they might not really think about what it actually means. And, that, and I, like I said before, I, I diverge from Ayn Rand on many things, but the core idea that there is some objective truth in the world, that, and reason can lead us to that truth, or at least that's, that's the only path we have to attempt to find that truth, is a core philosophy. It's really what leads me to the ideas of liberty. And, and the question he asked you was, is liberty an objective value? So can you explain why why you do believe that liberty is an objective value. Right. So objectivism, I mean, really, it's just, you know, the, the world exists and we're able to understand it. The more we know, the more we are certain of. There's a metaphysics, which is understanding the nature of reality. Epistemology is understanding the nature of thought. Ethics is the nature of action. What should or, or should I not do? And politics is how ethics applies in a social setting. And why is uh, liberty objective? Well, if we understand our nature as humans, and we're conscious, um, we're conceptual beings. Most animals are perceptual. They see the food, they go and they want to eat it. But we're conceptual beings. We're able to have concepts, language, and be abstract. We're able to make rational decisions. And as such, as potentially rational beings, it's appropriate for us to exist amongst each other as able to be conceptual, rational beings. And act on our own decisions. 
We're capable of being more than wild animals, essentially. We're right. capable of doing more than pointing at the food and, and getting it. <laughs> yeah, so I like to be really simple, too. Yeah, so that's right. We're more than wild animals. We're able to think and we're able to make decisions, and it's appropriate for us to act on our decisions. Therefore, it's appropriate for us to respect the other, the rights of other people to act on their decisions and, and therefore respect their liberty to do so. So liberty is objective. It's the objectively best method for interacting among humans. See, and I, I think in many ways that is somewhat of a divide in the liberty movement as well because, I mean, I a lot of the people might have those same ideas and hold those same values, but maybe not for any particular reason. You know, maybe just because they feel it. And, and that's good. I mean, I'm still glad they feel that because there's a reason they feel that way because it, I believe it is in our nature to be free and to promote freedom. So our gut will often reflect that uh, in certain things. But, I, I mean, I, I will find a lot of people that don't actually believe there is any objective morality. They actually just believe they like liberty because they like it and no other reason more. Well, yeah. Yeah, there's the non-aggression axiom right. that some people call it an axiom, and I don't believe it's an axiom. It's actually based on something. Axiom is a concept that's self-evident and isn't derived from anything below it. It's just self-evident. And no, uh, the non-aggression principle or that I should not aggress upon others, they have a right to do what they want with their life as long as, and everyone has a right to do what they want with their life as long as they don't aggress upon others. That's not an axiom. It's based off something. It's based off of our nature. It's based off the world that we live in. And some people treat liberty as an axiom, and I don't agree with that at all. Although, I mean, as long as they accept that I have a right to do what I want with my life, as long as I don't harm anyone else, then I'm actually cool. You know, even if they don't understand it as deeply as I do, or they don't come at it the same way, there's very religious people that also believe in liberty. And as long as they accept that principle, they can believe whatever they want. It, it, they're not a concern for me. Um, even if they're elected to office, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the way I see it. I mean, at the end of the day, if, say, you know, I align it with my beliefs with somebody, I'll join hands with them and, you know, walk on a march and support certain policies and, and do all these things and try to move society forward, move it towards greater individual liberty for people. At the same time, when we're done with our march or done with our voting or whatever it is we're doing together, I'm going to hang out with them later that night and still try to get to the core of their philosophy and still try to show them because there's always the danger that if, if they're only believing something on a whim or, or some gut feeling, well, I don't know. What if your gut feeling changes and so suddenly you're you're a tyrant tomorrow? And that's probably not going to be the case with most people, but it's possible. It's not just possible; it's common. You know. Yes, that's a good point. People do shift, so if their if their understanding of it isn't very deep, then it's not very strong either. Absolutely, Judd. We've talked for a while, and this is really a, a great interview, and I'm glad we're touching on a lot of topics that I don't normally touch upon. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about your involvement in the liberty movement currently and your photography. And, and you, know, you look at your photography, and most people would think, oh, this guy's a professional photographer, and you are in terms of quality, but this is not your main gig. I mean, you're involved in real estate. You're involved in other things for your business. This is kind of just a hobby for you. So how did you get so involved in the photography thing, and how did you essentially become the go-to guy for photographing all these liberty events? I mean, to me, I don't have one yet either. So maybe I'm not f fully in yet, but if you don't have a Job Weiss photo, you're not you're not fully certified in the Liberty Movement yet. Well, next time, my friend, I'll do yes, it for sure. Um, I'm not a professional photographer. I am an enthusiast, so it's not my profession. I, I tell people you don't even want a professional uh, because a professional photographer, if it's their job, they do their job and they go home. What you want is an enthusiast who loves to take powerful, best photos they possibly can. That's what you really want, and. Some of them are professionals, some enthusiasts are, and a lot of people just do it as their job, and it's just not that interesting. Uh, in fact, most event photographers are not that interesting. 
in by my opinion. I want to see more people doing that. But yeah, it, it's it's a hobby that has gone maybe a little bit too far down the rabbit hole. Oh, there's no such thing here. I want to go as far down that rabbit hole as... <laughs> maybe I've gone like way too far. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm very proud of the photos. And you really wouldn't know that from looking at your work because it, it really is phenomenal. I was just looking at some of your pictures from Nepal earlier. And it's it's oh, absolutely thanks. stunning, some of the, the work you've done. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Photography is like a new thing for me. And my blog has been destroyed because of photography because I was starting to write articles a lot more often. But then in 2010, I picked up a decent camera. And then the pressure from everyone around me in my whole social sphere of like asking for these photos just one out over writing the new articles that I was planning to write. I have like 60 unfinished articles and I have so many that I'd, I'd been meaning to write. I just have so many photos to go through because it's like I've got now an impossible backlog of photos that I'm always spending my time trying to pump those out. And I've been pumping out a lot of photos. Basically at the beginning when I started taking photos, it was more like a glorified point and shoot. I was, when I started taking good quality photos, I was, I got, when I first got my decent camera, uh, I just, for the first year or so, I treated it like more like a point and shoot that I brought to parties and I was taking better shots than I normally would have. And people were impressed with them and people just kept encouraging me. So I was just shooting things around me. And then I, in 2012, I started taking it a lot more seriously. I got better gear, better lenses, and I gave it more focus and attention. And it just kept exploding from there. Basically, the way I think about photography, it's like I'm playing a video game all the time. My camera's always with me and I'm always playing video games. Except that all my friends around me are encouraging me and cheering me along because the results are a lot better than if I played Grand Theft Auto all the time. That's how I think about it. It's something fun. I enjoy it. Selecting through the tens of thousands of photos I put on my plate later can be brain numbing. But, uh, but taking photos, and it's, it's kind of become part of like my social experience. I have my camera with me all the time, and, uh, and I'm often doing it. And just really quickly, without very much effort, I'm able to capture moments of people around me that are really epic and they're going to be remembered by these. I mean, their grandkids are going to remember them by these and they're going to hold these dear in their life for a long time. So when you see that there's powerful results coming, it's a lot of effort in total, but not a lot of effort individually in, the, in, in an individual photo level. It's like you're really encouraged to create that value. And another thing that it kind of ties back into what I've learned from Nathaniel Brandon about providing value for the people in your life. My view, and this didn't really come from Nathaniel Brandon, but somewhat vaguely influenced by that, is, you know, back in the day, I, you know, I was kind of a loner. And I realized that there's a very good reason why, because I was very uncomfortable to be around. I was very argumentative. I was somewhat hostile. And in order to get out of that, I had to build myself up, rip myself open and be more open and with everybody around me. But not only that, there's an understanding of being a source of value, not just a source of challenge and difficulty or whatever it was, but actually being a, a source of value to the people around you. Walk through the world like a fountain, spraying value everywhere you go. And then everyone's going to want to be around you because you're just spraying value everywhere you go. It's like the crumbs are just good. I want to make a t-shirt out of that. Be a fountain, spreading your value, spreading liberty around. That's a, that's a. I don't know if you just came up with that on the fly or what, but I. No, I, <laughs> I've been saying that like recently a little bit. It's somewhat of a new concept, that a new way for me to articulate that. But if you walk through the world as a fountain, just spraying everywhere, 
you're going to keep moving up because everyone's going to want to be around you. You're, you're, you're a positive thing, and everyone, in order to get near you, is going to be providing value. And you're also helping all the people around you. And as you help people around you, they are improving. Now you're surrounded by people in whatever way they're improved. And so that's better for you. And photography is one way for me to do that. One very easy way for me to just constantly be spreading value around me. And it's, it's paid off in a lot of beautiful ways. I mean, as far as why there's photos, so many photos of the Liberty scene, it's because every single person is asking, every organization, every head of all the organizations asking me to shoot all the events. Because suddenly, because I'm so OCD, I got really good at photography fast. <laughs> and everybody's asking me to please shoot their events. And I physically can't handle everything. So this, over the course of two months right now, I am shooting seven events in two months. And it's, I, I said yes to too much, actually. But I feel bad to turn it down. Last weekend, not this previous weekend, but the weekend before, I was in D.C. for the CEI dinner, gala dinner. This previous weekend, I just got back from Austin, Texas, shooting Voice and Exit. Next weekend, I mean, I'm, I'm shooting an event in Bali, Indonesia for the ISIL, uh, individual, the International Society of Individual Liberty. And then I'm, that's until July 5th. July 8th, I'm at Freedom Fest in Vegas. Then I'm shooting Ephemeral up in, at the end of July. And then uh, Yalcon, Young Americans for Liberty, in D.C. on July 29th to August 2nd. And then there's Coin Congress on August 13th. I'm shooting in uh, San Francisco. Good Lord, man. <laughs> That's amazing. Corn Congress is a Bitcoin <laughs> event. I've never been to one, so I, I felt like saying yes. So like all of these events, I feel bad about saying no to. And I turned down three events in June while I said like yes to seven. So I turned down Atlas Society and Porkfest in, in New Hampshire. And I feel like I'd love to be everywhere, but I physically can't. And being a person that just physically can't handle everything on their plate because you, you put yourself in a position of high demand, that's a good thing. That's what you want to do. And I want to encourage more people to do that. And as, as far as photography is concerned, I'm not protective about it at all because it's not my source of income. So I want more people doing this. I, I'm, I'm very open about teaching people. And I can say... Um, it sounds like you need more people doing this with your, with your crazy schedule you've got lined yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> I can't be the bottleneck. And I, I actually did send somebody to replace me at Atlas Society in New Hampshire. Um, but I don't want to pass the torch. I want to pass many torches. I want a lot more people doing this. And I say, and I mean it, I can teach anybody, uh, anybody completely ignorant of photography, how to take better photos than a professional within about, I don't know, between two to five minutes. I can teach wow. them how to take better photos than a professional you would hire for maybe five, six hundred bucks. Well, I believe you, man, because I've seen all sorts of your photography, and frankly, it looks better than a lot of the quote-unquote professional photography I see. So, I mean, I was shocked when I did, was doing research on you and just realizing that, wait a minute, this isn't actually what you do. Like, it, it really blew my mind, because it really does come across that way. I have now, I, I don't know exact number, but it's over 15,000 Facebook profile photos that are mine out there. Wow. 15,000 individuals who have that as their Facebook? Not individuals, essentially, because some people have, like, three or four right, right. photos uh, <laughs> from me. But there's pro at least 15,000, maybe even 20,000 at this point. I'm not exactly sure. It's crazy. Um, that probably makes you not just in the liberty movement, but the probably the human being with the most photographs as, as Facebook profile pictures. I wonder. And people are always on my case for more photos. Uh, ask me every day. I get like a dozen or 20 messages asking me for photos. I can't even respond to everybody. I don't. 
But I've been pretty damn prolific. You know, I would like anybody to find, while they're complaining that there's a backlog and it's taking me a little while, uh, I'd like to find anyone else anywhere near as prolific as me pumping out that kind of quality at that, at that quantity. Um, and I, it's not just on Facebook. Like these photos are being used on LinkedIn. Um, they're on Wikipedia now. There are people using them for their blogs, book jackets. And what makes me happiest actually is that they're all over Tinder. And, and the reason I'm happy about that is because, like, my God, a lot of these nerds need help. And, and I really, <laughs> they need a Judd Weiss photo. And, and that's part of, like, people are, you know, like, Jeff Berwick called me the paparazzi of the movement. And I'm not the paparazzi of the movement at all. I'm not trying to, like, sneak around and capture the movement. Or You're not hiding behind Lou Rockwell's bushes and waiting yeah. for him to come out of the Mises Institute. I'm not even documenting it. That's actually not what I'm trying to do at all. I'm basically the nitpicky girlfriend. I, I like, I love that you guys are out there uh, promoting this, and I'm really glad because I want a better world. I'm happy that there's other people supporting it. I just don't feel like you're being very effective. So I'm here. I want to fix this and help you out a little bit. And like, please continue. You know, that's kind of more about how I'm going about it. Very cool, Judd. Well, Judd, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I, I feel like you're the kind of guy I could probably literally spend hours into the night, and maybe we will someday, talking about this stuff. Uh, sure. Before I let you go, why don't you just go through the quick run-through of all the places people can get in touch with you, find your work, find your photography and your writing, and all that jazz. Well, I have a blog, uh, hustlebear.com, H-U-S-T-L-E-B-E-A-R, hustlebear.com. And uh, I post about politics and business. That It really started off more as a business-focused blog, but... I haven't been updating it as much as I would like to, and a lot of that has to do with the photography. Uh, otherwise, all of my social media profiles are just one word, Judd Weiss, one word. So Facebook.com slash Judd Weiss, Instagram, Judd Weiss, Twitter, Judd Weiss, and I just keep that, that consistent on everything else. Let's be honest. If anyone listening is a libertarian on Facebook, they've seen your stuff. They know how to find it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, yeah. Judd Weiss, thanks again for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it, and you know, we'll have to, I'll have to do it again sometime. That was fun, Mark. Thanks so much for having me on. Very much so, man. Take care. You too. Guys, political season is just getting started, and what better time to load up that wardrobe with some great political gear from our friend Dan McCall over at Liberty Maniacs. Liberty Maniacs is your one-stop shop for humorous and liberty-minded t-shirts, posters, mugs, and so much more. And now you can check out the brand new Electoral Dysfunction 2016 line, which includes t-shirts ribbing political candidates such as Donald Trump with the We Shall Overcome shirt, as well as the always popular Santorum Happens shirt. If that wasn't enough, Lions of Liberty listeners get 10% off your entire order by using the code Lions of Liberty at checkout. That's LibertyManiacs.com. Wear something worth saying. There is nothing anybody hates more, believe me, I know, than dealing with medical bills and medical insurance. And for many, the Obamacare regulations have only made things worse. But there is another way, and it's called health sharing. And now, our friends at Health Excellence Select have taken this concept to a whole new level by putting together a comprehensive medical care package, which includes 24-7 access to doctors, personalized healthcare assistance, and a plethora of discounts on medical and dental needs. If you want to learn more, you can hop on a free webinar with our Health Excellence Select rep, Jeff Cantor. You have absolutely nothing to lose by checking it out. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com health. Whew, all right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my interview there with Mr. Judd Weiss. 
And I have to say, I was presently surprised to hear Judd bring up a lot of issues and terms that we don't often hear in the liberty movement or, or things that we should be hearing a lot more. You know, the, the concept of philosophy, of meta-ethics, of an objective natural order to the world. I shouldn't say we don't hear them. We do hear them in certain pockets, in certain circles, in certain conversations about liberty. But we're not hearing them enough, I should say, and it's not being emphasized enough. And that's really one of the reasons I started this show is because I didn't think we were getting enough to the core of a lot of issues in a lot of other libertarian media. And there's a lot of other libertarian media that I enjoy that doesn't touch on these issues either. It's not that everything has to talk about this, but if we're not talking about this stuff, if we're not talking about philosophy, and really, you know, a lot of people will reject philosophy because maybe they took some philosophy class in college and they were exposed to a lot of bullshit, and they might therefore go on to associate that bullshit with all of philosophy, with the entire realm of philosophy. But really, what philosophy is, is nothing more than a quest for truth in the world. That's really what it is. And to arrive at that truth through reason, through using our cognitive functions that were provided to us by nature. And maybe you believe that there's a greater higher power that provided us with this cognitive ability, this ability to reason. And maybe you think this is evolution. You know, we had just evolved to have this ability. But however we got this ability to cognitively think, to reason our way through the world, it's a blessing. And I, I don't take a religious aspect to it, but I mean, the word blessing seems to apply because it's a wonderful thing that we have this ability, that we can be more than mere savages, than mere barbarians, than mere animals just pointing at our food and going to get it in whatever way we can. If, if that means killing a whole bunch of other people along the way, well, so be it. But we are more than that. We have the ability to trade with other people. We have the ability to make exchanges based on our ideas about value about certain things, whether that's the exchange of our labor for money or just, you know, trading baseball cards, whatever it is. We're able to achieve all of this, not through violence, although many people do take a violent path, but we're able to achieve it through peace, through trade, through understanding of our fellow man. And look, I agree with the non-aggression principle or the non-aggression axiom, as Judd Weiss mentioned, many refer to it as, but I, I'm in complete agreement with Judd. I mean, I, I agree with the non-aggression principle, but it's not, it's not the beginning. It's, we don't start at non-aggression. Non-aggression is arrived at through seeking truth, through and deep and thorough, rigorous use of reason to arrive at a philosophy. And, and I truly believe that if anybody really does thoroughly pursue reason, they will arrive at a philosophy of individual liberty. They will arrive at the conclusion of non-aggression. But I think starting there can often confuse people because people will say, well, I just don't believe that. <laughs> All right, conversation over. I mean, we need to have a moral basis for our positions. And look, it's great. Like I said, if I find people who want to legalize marijuana or who want to curb aggressive wars overseas, you know, I'm not going to, you know, necessarily sit down and break down their philosophy with them to make sure that we're all on the same page before I go ahead and, and support them on those things. But at the same time, I'm going to try to work that stuff in. I'm going to try to introduce them to some things. You're not going to learn a new philosophy overnight. It actually does require a thought process. And a lot of people aren't willing to put that thought process in. And I don't necessarily know the answer about how to get people to even want to take that step, to want to read about philosophy, to want to become a deep thinker on these issues. But we have the ability, guys. I'm not a superhero. I'm not from Krypton. I don't have superpowers. So if I can do it, anybody can. Anybody can at all. 
I'd be remiss not to mention Shane Whistler in his book, Reason and Liberty, when having this conversation, because this is the exact process that we need to go through. We need to use reason, and if we use reason, we will find that liberty is the best and only true moral path for man. Do you think I'm full of it, guys? Do you think I'm full of it? If you do, I want to know. I want to hear from you. You can email me, Mark, M-A-R-C, at lionsofliberty.com, or you can discuss this stuff on our social media. Join us at the Lions of Liberty Forum. Look it up on Facebook. It's our private group where we discuss all these matters, this kind of stuff we talk about here in the podcast, as well as our articles that we publish every single day over at lionsofliberty.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lionsofliberty, as well as on Twitter at lionsofliberty. Liberty, Google Plus, we're all over the place, guys. And of course, you can find this show every Monday and Thursday at lionsofliberty.com. You can hear us throughout the week on the Liberty Radio Network, lrn.fm, as well as on libertytalk.fm, 6 p.m. Eastern, every single Saturday and Sunday, guys. And if you have an Amazon Echo, just shout at that thing, Alexa, play me the Lions of Liberty podcast. And if she's working right, she will. Sometimes she's not. But hey, technology, it's new. It's new and it evolves, just like man, just like our thoughts, just like society. And I hope to continue that evolution and help push us forward into a more free society. But like I said, it's got to start with our philosophy. So I was thrilled to have Judd Weiss on talking about this stuff today. Please do check out his work at hustlebear.com. He's got some great writing. Not all of it is necessarily about politics, but he's really enjoyable. And his photography, if you have not seen it, is absolutely wonderful. And I'll be coming back this coming Thursday with a little follow-up to my interview with Austin Peterson. Obviously, many people took exception to Austin Peterson's positions. One such man is a young gentleman named Ryan Griggs. He's a young blogger, a young libertarian, and I'm having him on the show to discuss the problems that he has with Austin Peterson's positions and his criticisms of anarchy and his minarchist position. And, of course, you can head back to episode 120 if you didn't hear that interview. You can find all of our past podcasts at lionsofliberty.com slash podcast. So be sure to check that out before my interview this Thursday with Ryan Griggs. And until then, folks, live long and live free. Editing and Mastery is John Dobbins.